You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, go to naturalstacks.com. Oh, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McCormick. On today's episode, we have Dr. Thomas Inkledon. And Dr. Tom is one of the most sought-after health experts on the planet. Uh, he has been an expert in athletic performance and also cancer research since about 1989. He's got gold medals in World Strongman competitions. This guy is the go-to guy for many, many professional athletes from the NFL to the MLB, and uh, he's also a real pleasure to talk to. His approach to treating and preventing cancer is innovative. It's simple, but it's innovative. And he takes the approach that we have to be physically fit and physically strong enough to be able to fight off whatever it is that's going on in our body. He tells amazing stories and he's got some really cool anecdotes from his experience at Cosenta down in Scottsdale, Arizona. Cosenta is a wellness in disease and cancer treatment center. And whether you are a world-class athlete looking for an edge to stay on top or a cancer patient patient trying to get treatment for an illness or disease, um, this place has it all. Uh, Not only do the practitioners do um, amazing and phenomenal work from naturopaths to medical doctors to specialists in, in various different Uh, arenas, but also if you go look at the website, you can see some of the most amazing biohacking technologies. We're talking about Novathor, ozone therapy, PEMF technology, magnosphere, light therapy, uh, photodynamic therapy. Um, They've got uh, IV drips, uh, ultrasound, just tons and tons of cool tech at their center down in Scottsdale. And what we cover in this episode is what I think is some of the most important information that all of us need to know is what two questions should you be asking your doctor when you have an illness? I'm not even going to give it away. You got to listen to the episode to hear it. This is unbiased, totally transparent information from one of the one of the legit leading experts on the planet for cancer prevention and performance. This is a really fascinating episode. Um, we had a little Skype trouble, so bear with us. And in, in a couple of moments, I had to make uh, make it work, but it doesn't it doesn't distract from the content. Um, take some notes on this stuff on your phone as you're listening, unless you're running on a treadmill. And as always. Give me your feedback. I want to hear from you guys. Do us a giant favor. Please jump on to whatever, wherever you listen to this podcast. Please subscribe because it really helps our numbers. And also um, submit a five-star review. If you love this and you listen, if you're one of the thousands and thousands of people that listen to this every single week, like I did before I uh, took over the hosting role and like I do every week, please, we really want to hear from you. You can email me at sean at optimalperformance.com and and we have some cool stuff that we're that we're gonna be rolling out here shortly. Um, as always, thank you so much for listening. I will stop babbling. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Tom Inkledon. You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean McCormick. It's the OPP. I'm a performance coach, a wellness entrepreneur, a blogger, a speaker, a biohacker, and it's my privilege to bring to you the leading experts in the field of performance. So let's dig right in. 
And we're here with Dr. Thomas Incladon, who is the founder of Causenta Disease and Cancer Wellness and Treatment Center. Dr. Thomas, or Dr. Tom, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Uh, thank you so much. So I like to start off everybody with the same question, and that question is, what have you put in your body today? So I had a chicken pomegranate pistachio salad. Then I had another salad. It's a uh, V12 salad. Just think of it as um, I like variety. So I like to do salads that have as many vegetables. And, and then I'll try to vary the different meats that I have. So it might be salmon, chicken, beef, you know. Um, and, and the reason is very simple. I try to practice what I preach. I will say it's, it's getting harder and harder um, you know, as we've grown as a company and have traded, you know, we have people from all the world coming in all crazy hours. We're no longer like a nine to five show or a 24 hour show now. And it's more difficult to manage time when it's hitting you from so many different angles. Um, but, uh, you know, I love one, I love to eat and uh, two, I love variety. So I try to uh, do salads because the data is pretty clear there's all kinds of micronutrients that nature has figured out that benefit us in many ways for our health. And so that's kind of bias. But if you ask me what my favorite food is, I was born a carnivore. I can live on beef, man. I really can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you do uh, Did you do the carnivore diet in January like myself? No, I did not. But, you know, when I was um, – when I was younger and competing in sports, you know, all the guys that were had more experienced than me, that were bigger than me, that kind of thing, they only ate huge amounts of meat. You know, back then we didn't have like whey protein and some of the protein options available today. So if you were eating protein, it's because you were eating an animal product. There were a few guys that were vegans, but not a lot. And I just saw the biggest guys ate the most animal protein. And, you know, uh, I was just a dumb muscle at the time. I'm going to copy the guys that look like they know what they're doing, you know? Yeah, right. Might as well. Right. So there are a lot of different topics that I want to pick your brain on because your experience is so vast and, and your application of your knowledge in your own life, like you're living, uh, you're, you're living what you're preaching. You really are walking, walking the walk. Um, one snippet of little information that, that, that really struck me was this bold statement of, quote, eradicating disease from the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. Can, can you tell me a little bit about how you plan to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, one, if we look at the business model in healthcare today, it's one where the business interest, meaning, you know, making money, is separate and divorced from results, which would be patient outcomes. So, as a simple example, in 2012, uh, Mayo, you know, clinic published a position paper that basically said uh, the model of healthcare in the United States cannot sustain itself because. You go into a hospital, they do a surgery, they do a treatment of some kind, some sort of procedure, and you don't get better, but they're still getting paid. So what incentive do they have to actually get better at what they do? Now let's look at where science is and let's look at where medicine is and healthcare. We know, for example, that if you're truly interested in in beating cancer, there should be a test that measures down to zero, zero cancer cells in the body. With the trillions of dollars of research funding allegedly raised for research, there's no test in the world that's good for cancer right now. They all have a lot of um, of errors with them. And so now you've got all these flaws with 
these different methods and it raises a question like, where's all this money going if it's not actually there to help people? And what you see is the financial bias is overwhelmingly taken control. So it's like this. Research isn't done to figure out the best way to do something, the optimal biological result for human being. Research is done in a way to prove something works so the company funding the research can actually sell more product in the end. Hence why you see this overwhelming recommendation of chemotherapy and radiation and surgery because what's driving the decision-making there is it's big money. Now, no one's going to look at a $4 a month treatment plan because it won't make any money. And then when I've been a scientific advisor to very prestigious centers that are generating billions of dollars, and I've advised them, hey, make this adjustment and you'll increase outcomes dramatically. Outcomes meaning more people will live versus dying. And the responses I get, well, we're going to lose money. So average person, this is the United States, they go, well, does insurance cover my care? They blindly follow the trail. What they should be asking is, what's best for me to do so I live? Hmm. That's the wrong question. So as a result, they're going to get an answer that will not help them live. And part of that is that uh, people don't value health. People look at health as expense, and they do need to reframe that, and health should be an asset. If let's just say you're, you know, you're your business, your life is your own business, and to being healthier allows you to make more money because you'll be alive longer, be more functioning later on in life instead of being too frail and weak to actually do things. Most people have an experience where they go to a hospital, they see a doctor, they get no result. So what they're learning is I didn't pay for something, got no result, and therefore this has no value to me. So they're seeing things done in the wrong way. And they're being brainwashed to think health has no value. Um, it's very different when someone comes here. Um, we're, we're just crushing it, doing amazing things. And people that walk in like, dude, I feel like I want to move here. Like we have people from around the world come in and they basically say, I don't want to leave. And uh, in, one, in one day, in one room, I'll have an Olympian, an NFL athlete, you know, MVP with a ring on his finger, have a guy in a wheelchair and a stage four cancer patient, and they're all crushing it, doing amazingly well. And the one thing about community and camaraderie, if you're with the guy and he's benching 10 pounds, but it's a PR for him, it is just as fulfilling and rewarding as the guy next to him benching 600 pounds and it's a PR for him. And the reason is people admire effort. People love each other, they admire that, this guy's trying as best as he can to improve his health. And so um, we saw that years ago work with athletes and team environments that when you create the right team and a chemistry, people make crazy results, like stuff that you think, well, he's got to be on drugs. There's no way to explain his improvement in performance. And what we've done basically is taken this athletic model and transferred it to, to basically dealing with disease. So everyone here moves. There is no one sitting on their butt, unless it's a machine that requires them to sit and doing a therapy on them that way. But everyone is moving all the time. Yeah, I mean, it, it begs the question. You know, I think, you know, a lot of people um, don't make the connection between physical movement and output and fighting disease. They think the paradigm that you've just spoken to is if if it's not a drug I can take and still sit and watch Jeopardy, 
reruns, mm-hmm. if there is Jeopardy reruns. If it's not something like that, then it's, then it doesn't make sense. And what you've just said is you've taken this this model of athletic performance and tied it logically in my brain to um, fighting disease. Can you elaborate a little bit more on on the connection that's obvious to you and clear to me that that fighting disease has to come with a level of of physical exertion? Sure. So um, back in the '30s, and this is you know United States bias data, but I would extrapolate and say it's most likely happened in countries around the world. 1930s, when a woman was pregnant, she would be told, "Oh, you need bed rest for two months." And now after the baby is born, the woman's laying in bed for two months. And after two months, the hospital's like, all right, time to kick you out. Can't live here no more. And she could barely stand. And they're like, wow, having a baby is so stressful. And then one day somebody goes, wait a minute. Before hospitals, women were having babies and going to work like right afterwards, like literally the same day. And now all of a sudden they can't move. What's going on here? What are we creating for this problem? And what they started to realize is that by laying and not moving for so long, the brain controlling the body was declining. And then as a result, muscles were atrophying and getting weaker. And then somewhere between the 30s and the 50s, there's a similar discovery in cardiovascular medicine where, you know, let's say it was mostly men having heart attacks, not, not as many women back then. And basically the story goes something like this. A guy has a heart attack, he has open heart surgery or some you know, pretty invasive procedure. He gets done, he's in the hospital for one or two months, and now he gets done, he could barely stand. He's got a quad cane or in a wheelchair, and everybody goes, wow, look at the stress of having a heart attack. And then when insurance got involved and say, wait a minute, we're not paying for this guy to sit in bed for two months and do nothing. We want him out a lot sooner. And now people are being forced to move quicker, and now all of a sudden you start seeing that, wait a minute, people are out in days, and they're further ahead today than they were in the 50s. Well, because they're moving earlier. And now let's fast track uh, very recently, last month or two, Scientific American now has on the front of the magazine the necessity of movement for life. And now movement, lack of movement factors for all disease. And essentially it's like this, move, use it or lose it, right? So if you're not moving every day, your nervous system starts to think, oh, we don't need these body parts. We don't need these muscles. So they atrophy and they lose the connection. Now what happens a lot of times is when someone is sick, whether it's an acute illness, a chronic condition, let's say cancer, let's say arthritis, they move less. And now because they're moving less, they go, well, the cancer is beating me. Like, actually it's not, you haven't moved in weeks. And I learned this the hard way on my own. I used to compete in strongman competitions. One day I had an injury and a, a big tire fell on my right knee from the side. So it dislocated and ripped out my tibia and my fibula from the knee. So it was, yeah, it, it, was, it was a lot of fun. And <laughs> as, I, uh, as I was waiting to get to the hospital, in three days I couldn't load that joint. And in just three days, if I was looking down at my legs, my left leg had all this muscle and looked big, and my right leg – atrophied so much I could pull my skin almost like a balloon it was like plastic on outside of a bag and I was like wow and so I'm marveling at it's amazing to me how the body can compartmentalize trauma 
like it wasn't my whole body withering away. It was just that leg. And, um, you know, most people would probably be horrified and, and, and looking to change it right away. But I was kind of studying it. And um, once I realized, you know, it was a lack of movement, I started embracing things like electro um, electrical stimulation and magnetic fields and light because it allowed me to move pain-free. And then by moving more, I was able to quickly get some muscle back on that leg. Uh, I was way ahead of my um, rehab outcome that they were expecting. And so I kind of lived it, learned it, experienced and from studying in other bodies that we need to move. And so today, the reason why we incorporate, um, we say movement now, but you might say exercise. I don't really care the word choice, but and every time someone does a therapy, we have them doing some form of movement. And the reason is this, the outcomes are dramatically better. And I want to just translate that. We have people that have come here that have been to centers around the world and spent millions of dollars. They come here and we have them walking in an hour after they have not walked for three months or longer. And when you look at every single center, not one has done what we're doing. And the reason is I'm helping someone. And if I had to just do a single treatment, it might be $150 to $350 for that one treatment. That contrasts that where the therapies that people are doing around the world, their insurance is paying thousands of dollars. <laughs> so no center is going to change their model to do something that brings in less money. So the reason why it's not being done is because it's not as profitable. And so what, what I do is we figure out a way. I make your experience here so good. You then decide I want to come here more often. And then now because you're coming here more often, you do more therapies and that's how we make money. It's driven by your choice, your passion, your own interest. You know, it's a different way of looking at it. Yeah, it's results based, right? Yeah. Rather yeah. than paradigm fitting, it's results based. Yeah. And that's the way it should be. And uh, I mean, it begs the question, how do we reinvent the system? Is is it is it more more centers like yours, uh, it, will that alone uh, help to change the current paradigm out of the insurance incentivize, incentivization? Um, no, it won't. And um, so I didn't fully answer your one question about you know eradicating disease from the future of mankind. And I just want to add one more bit. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So the profit margins in education are substantially better than the profit margins in um, treating disease when you eliminate insurance. So I'll give you an example. So in the United States right now, if you come to a center like mine, and there's thousands of these types of like, think of, just think of it as like a, an outpatient medical office. So just using a category, if you came in and did a blood test, we're restricted by law what we could charge. So um, we would do a panel, it's like a, something called Chem 20, we would charge $23 and maybe my cost is like 21 something and an extra dollar something is the margin we're allowed by law. You did that same exact panel. I mean like everything exactly the same in a hospital, which is what most people do by mistake. Now when you come in and go, oh, does insurance cover this? And we go, no. And then you go to the hospital and they go, yes. What you're not realizing is that let's say you get 80% coverage. That's 480 bucks. You now have a copay of 120. You paid four to five times more the going retail rate. That is a stupid choice, stupid decision. The reason why people do it is they don't know any better. 
I think you look at what's the number one reason for bankruptcy in the United States right now, it's medical bankruptcy is the number one reason because people believe that they're going to get everything covered. No insurance carrier covers 100%. And the reason why is they can't sustain. They're a business that has to make money. They're not going to give it all away, right? Because then they have to go to their shareholders. How did you go? How'd you lose all our money? Well, we gave it all away. It's not going to fly. You're going to fire the CEO and bring in another guy. So they come up with you know, all kinds of creative ways of manipulating the system so that they make money in the end. And what, I'm, what I would say to people is that um, the more you use insurance, the more likely you are to get guided down the wrong path. Because as an example, um, you go to standard of care therapy for, let's say, cancer. That's chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery. There's no exercise. There's no, here's some vitamin mineral testing. Here's a healthier diet for you. So that if those treatments don't work to beat your cancer, not only do you have more cancer, you still have, now you have malnutrition and you're weaker, you're more frail, et cetera. That's a bigger hole to get out of than, you know, if you had at least got stronger, had some better nutrition, you have a fighting chance of beating cancer with your own natural resources. I'm not saying that's going to be good enough, but you're not in a bad place. Like it's better to be stronger and have better nutritional status when dealing with any medical problem versus the opposite, which is frail and have poor nutritional status. Because what you hear <clears throat> is that um, the chemotherapy killed someone, right? You hear a lot of times about people dying from the treatment in order to fight the disease. But what people don't see on the inside that we know, because we measure, we measure more details in the human body than anyone in the world that I've ever seen. Um, most people that have a disease have a lot going on. They look at the label. Well, I have, you know, prostate cancer. They don't look at all the vitamins that are low, all the minerals that are low, all the hormones that are out of whack, all the inflammation markers that are elevated, the dysfunctional microbiome, and then whatever genetic mutations they have. They don't look at all that underlying stuff because they can't see it. And so now when they go into a treatment, <clears throat> they're too frail to handle the treatment, period. So that's why the treatment's going to harm them. But there's no assessment to make sure you're treatment ready, right? People just jump right into treatment, assuming it's going to work. They don't assume it may not work, and they don't realize that they may not be strong enough to handle it. And think of it back to the athletic model. If you came to me and said, hey, I want to run a marathon, and let's assume you've never done one in your life, I don't start your day one with running a marathon, right? <laughs> That's not what we do. But now let's go to the medical world. You say, hey, I want to beat this cancer. Okay, let's go to the marathon right now, right? You get full-dose chemo. It makes no sense. They don't say, well, let's get you there slowly. They just throw you into the fire right right away. So getting back to you know how we're going to disrupt, you know, uh, medicine globally or healthcare globally is we're transitioning to a model where we can educate physicians around the world on how to integrate things because doctors are never taught this in any medical program in the world. How do I do an IV on your body while you're exercising with the magnetic field and make sure it goes to your healthy cells and we don't feed the cancer? No center world has figured out that. We have. And that's why we have there's no frail people in our building unless they just started. Everyone else looks like we have uh, people going, are you sure they have cancer? Ask them. Look at their PET scans. You know, If you look at our videos of our patients, none of them are losing hair. And the reason is we're addressing the factors that cause hair loss. Hence why it'd be like if you're making a workout program for me and I'm saying, man, I can't bench. And you go, well, your triceps a week. Let's shred your triceps. All of a sudden, I'm benching more weight. And everybody else says, oh, like. 
if you don't address the known weaknesses, you can't get results with those areas, right? And it's, it's very logical to athletes, people that have worked out. But in healthcare, it's like, you know, it's like taboo what we're talking about. And we're doing something wrong by actually trying to focus on you as an individual. You know what I mean? And so, we, so what will wind up happening is um, we'll get into the point where as we increase our uh, medical education workshops, we'll then be able to start gradually treating certain cancers for free. As our medical education model improves, in other words, we have more revenue coming through medical education, then we could start doing, we could treat certain cancers for free. And as we conquer one cancer at a time, we'll then be able to conquer other cancers and we'll be training doctors. So it would be like this. Let's say you're in India. Doctors from India will pay to learn what we're doing. We'll then be able to teach them so they can go back to India and then now do those same treatments that have proven to work in a healthy way that embraces health and fitness, I guess. And then now people have a choice. I can go to my local doctor. Like in theory, you should be able to go to the doctor closest to you and get healthier. Because geographically, there's plenty of doctors around the world. But it doesn't work anything like that. People are traveling across the globe. Got people from the United States going to Germany. People from Germany going to Thailand. People from Australia coming to the U.S. Like, Everyone's bouncing around, and the reason is they can't find a resource locally, and they feel like they're not being listened to and heard. So they're going somewhere else because part of it is the grass is greener on the other side kind of look, and part of it is that maybe they may not have resources where they live. And what, what I'm going to share with the world is here's how you help someone when there are no resources. You know, we're in a jungle right now. You drop me in a jungle. I'm still going to be able to help a human being because we've been trained on all these things for a long time. Uh, if we're in a desert, well, actually, I live in a desert. If we're, if we're in a desert and there's no water, how are you going to help this guy kind of thing, you know? We're taking the same sort of philosophy mindset and applying that to healthcare. Does that make you massively unpopular? Uh, in some ways, yeah. I mean, I get death threats. Um, and, and it was funny. I was told years ago, dude, you're on a path that you're going to get these death threats at some point. I'm like, you know what? I don't want to live my life fear-based. You know, I, I want to, I wake up, I can't wait for my day to begin. I love the patients we have and the clients we have. I love, you know, the relationships I form with people from around the world. It helps me expand. Like, you know, we like to think we're open-minded, but how do you know if you're open-minded? You have to be challenged to see how you handle it to know if you're open-minded, you know? And there's all kinds of silly things like, um, you know, gosh, uh, you know, um, I'll hear things like um, uh, from certain countries, like, say, a woman breastfeeding an older child. And at first when I hear about like, man, you know, it seems like a bit much. And then you say, well, there's no other food source. So imagine you're a woman and you got a, a son that's seven or eight. That's way past the age for breastfeeding and stuff. But there's no food. What do you do? You know what I mean? And there's no one helping you. You have no resources around. And now – like, wow, that's kind of deep, you know, and I, I never contemplated anything like that in my life, you know. I'm a war if you're in, you know, an area where I had a company I do some uh, consulting for, and they had, they got, they were being robbed. Imagine you're manufacturing a device, and you're being robbed at gunpoint. When you go to work, you're going to be robbed with guys with machine guns. How are you going to help heal people when you can't even make something, finish completing a project? And you're hearing this stuff, you're like, wow, you know, and I'm, 
now I'm, you know, I'm worried about, you know, am I getting enough sleep tonight? You know what I mean? It's, it's, it puts things in perspective. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that'll, that'll certainly push you to rethink your paradigm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and maybe you can speak to how you think of it and how you guys, um, approach this with, with Cosenta. Um, but there seems to me, you know, that there are more, there are increasing options for sort of remote care, remote, remote consultation. Cause you can send, you can get your blood work done. You know, I had, uh, I had a guest on, um, uh, where you can get blood work done, get a consultation for a couple hundred bucks, you know, and it's like massive, you know, 40, 50, 60 different labs, different, uh, different, um, things that they test for. And then they, you know, they consult and, and, and move those numbers and try to get those to improve. Um, do you believe that, that, that remote care is becoming more and more of an option for people? And is that part of what you guys do at Cosenta? So, um, I, I guess I'd have to see what testing is done. So most of the time, when I look at what tests that companies are doing, um, because they're easy to scale, remember that's a business interest. That's not an optimal biology focus, right? So, for example, you'll see urine tests are, are easy to do from remote because you get a urine collection cup, collect a specimen on your own, send it back. Or maybe a blood spot test because you could stick your blood on a piece of paper that preserves it and send it out or a fecal specimen or a swab. The limitation with those approaches, though, is that they're measuring things that may be so dynamic, a static impression doesn't really tell you much. And I'll give an example, like there's all this microbiome testing that's becoming popular now. And there's maybe four or five players in a, in, a, in a market that are claiming they have the best option for you. But when I look at the people behind it, it's business people. It's people that have failed many times in different businesses. And now all of a sudden they got a new business model and they're promoting it and they make these claims. And it may help some people, but by itself – uh, it's not it's not the level of detail that science has reached, right? So on the genetic side, for example, lots of companies are offering these SNP tests, single nucleotide polymorphisms, and I would say, why would you waste your time on missing data? So an example would be if you said, hey, I got four flat tires. I go, well, I'm going to check one. Do I sound like I'm helping you, right? So we got 22,000 genes, and there are these companies saying, well, it's going to test 12. Like – there could be other genes telling you more valuable information. And what you want to eliminate or avoid as much as possible is a visual bias. Visual bias effect in healthcare is like this. So let's say you're walking and you slipped and you broke your leg. Now, you know you broke your leg because you, you see the bone sticking out through the skin, right? Now, you're in a car, friends driving, and you get into a car accident. You're unconscious. And now in the hospital, they go, what happened? How he broke his leg? Well, he got into a car accident. You're not awake to tell them what happened before, right? Sure. Another example, as a kid, you twist your ankle, the pain goes away. You assume, hey, my ankle's fixed. Decades later now, you got some knee arthritis. They look at your knee with MRI. They go, here's the problem with your knee joint. You got this bone wear right here. And then Someone else comes along and goes, well, your ankle's really unstable. And the reason why you keep getting this problem with the knee is you can't balance or stabilize the joint. 
Now, if you came here, I'd teach you how to stabilize the joint, and all of a sudden, you would see over time, the cartilage remodels in the knee and you reverse some of the arthritis. Uh, maybe not 100%, but enough that you're not, it's not holding you back anymore. And so visual bias is very prevalent in medicine because everyone's looking at that one set of numbers, or one MRI study, and that's how they're determining your next course of action. They're not looking at everything as a whole. And this is where people get, you know, basically get screwed. You could have organisms in your mouth that are linked to colon cancer. Once you have colon cancer, no one looks at your mouth ever again. They're looking at the colon, right? They're looking where the cancer spread. You could have an autoimmune condition. Once you have the autoimmune condition, everybody's looking in the blood. They're not looking at the organisms in the mouth. Um, you could have, there's a relationship between the brain and the gut called the gut-brain axis. People that have issues with the brain may have no, um, uh, may not feel any symptoms in their head, but they have GI issues. Now everyone's doing scans and, you know, always things say everything looks pristine. It looks fine. And not realizing that because of concepts like physiological crosstalk and chemical mimicry, chemicals produced in the brain can influence the gut. Chemicals produced in the gut can influence the brain. So, you know, people with GI issues have a higher rate of mental illness. People with mental illness have a higher incidence of GI issues, and part probably because they both are making certain chemicals that are structurally the same, so one is influencing the other. Um, and, you know, conceptually, it's it's logical that everything in the body is connected because it's one body. Yeah, they're treating them in as isolated parts out of context. You know, so it's kind of like studying one part of you without understanding what's happening with the rest of you. And making a decision on that one part, you know, using an automobile analogy, let's say you have no gas, but you, there was no fuel gauge, right, to see that there's no gas, and you have a flat tire. Any a mechanic then says, oh, you have a flat tire, here's the problem right here, because <laughs> they can't see there's no gas on the inside of the car, so they're going to address the obvious. And now the car still won't run, and they're like, wow, this is baffling. <laughs> I mean, it's it, and then and then the burden and then the burden lies on on the analysis. How do you put the pieces together? How do you go back to, you know, how how do you find out that someone rolled their ankle really badly when they were fourteen and now they have arthritis in in their in their knee and hip dysplasia at forty? Like, what's the what what's without getting too too lost in sort of like the process? Like, what what's the process for for using that? deductive logic to figure out what's going on for people well so one of the most valuable areas that is oftentimes neglected particularly with remote consults is a very thorough review of the case history so um it goes like this so i might say hey did you ever injure your ankle you go no and i don't expect you remember stuff that happened you know i don't know below the age of five you know what i mean it's just too far gotten like, who remembers things at that level? Maybe you do. Maybe it was a traumatic experience you never forget. But it's normal for kids to have injuries that they never remember when they're an adult. Because it, maybe it didn't uh, bother you that long. So it's kind of like, it happened, I'm over it, and now you're looking forward. You're not trapped thinking about your past. And so as we go through some things and as different um, concepts come out during you know, different questions, it reawakens, oh, wait a minute, you know what? When I had that knee pain before that, I did have that ankle injury, right? So some of it comes out 
just through conversation like you and I are having right now, because your mind starts thinking about different things. And you can almost imagine it's like waking up an old memory, for lack of a better description. And then that's just say if we were doing a console by phone. But then when you physically see someone um, and you're assessing them, part of it is to get them in standard positions where we know how the body should move and how the body should look. And then we see what happens. And then we may take away, so we put blindfolds on you so you can't see. Now how does your body move? We may put, um, you know, like construction workers have like these headphones that dampen the sounds. They don't damage the ears. We could do like sensory deprivation of the eyes and ears. You can't see or hear. And then we're seeing how does the brain control your body when there's no feedback? And then you see all kinds of dysfunction. That, that dysfunction was always there, but here's the thing. You, you can't see it, touch it, or feel it, right? So you don't know what's even happening. And now what we usually do, because it's kind of funny, we record people on their own phones, right? So I said, I want you to have a record of this, right, for yourself. And it really works well when it's like a husband and wife or a couple coming in. Because, like, let's say you trust your wife, but you just met me. So the level of trust you have with your wife is going to be much greater than me. So imagine I'm a strange guy, a little quacky, you know, a little weird and off. That's telling you some stuff. And at first, it doesn't make sense because – We've been doing this, you know, 100,000 people for a long time. So we kind of got things figured out, but it's new to you and you never heard it before, right? So there's like that conceptual barrier we're trying to bridge. And so now I'm trying to explain you what happened and you didn't feel it and you didn't see it and you didn't touch it, right? So it's like, no way did this happen. And here's your wife going, no, babe, it did happen. Here's the video to prove it. And all of a sudden it's like, holy man, this guy really knows what he's talking about, right? Because you have a, a, a video of your old body doing it. And it's like this huge wake-up call. And it always, everybody basically goes, how do I get more of this, right? Because we uncovered something that could impact your life immediately. Yeah. An example, we'll give you some simple examples. Um, I have uh, Right now, uh, if we look at occupations, we have more doctors coming here for care than any other occupation. And part of it is this. They're, you know, doctors are in healthcare because they want to help people, right? Uh, so let's say you're the doctor and I'm the patient. Like you're a doctor because you actually want to – you care about healing people, right? You want to help me. But if you're missing resources where you work or you don't have the support where you work, you're limited – and it has nothing to do with you, right, personally. Like, it's just something beyond you. And so then when a doctor comes here, it's like, you guys could do that? Like, you could do that in the gym? Like, yeah, we actually have a real gym. Like, athletes around the world go, dude, this is probably the best gym I've ever seen. And, you know, they're like, how come more athletes aren't coming here? I'm like, we work with people that want to improve their health and performance. We don't go by a label. I don't care if you're training for the Olympics or if you're trying to fight cancer. You come here, you're going to get results. And it's a different model than most people like, well, I only work with NFL or I only work with stage four or breast cancer. Like they've limited themselves in a way that uh, may restrict things. So that's the reason why we're seeing a lot of doctors come here. Um, but it, it's just uh, uh, what happens is I was thinking about two cases, both uh, doctors that I know personally that came here. One had um, what he called drop foot. So basically he, his, his right ankle would just kind of get sloppy and his foot would hang. And um, he keeps telling me, you know, it's neurological. There's nothing that can be done. And I'm like, all right, we're going to try this stuff. And he's getting angry with me because, because I want to help him, right? And I said, okay, we have to look at this in a different way. So let's pretend the old you 
maybe hit a barrier of some kind, intellectual, mechanical, neurological. But the new you, now that you crossed over the threshold into this building, the new you has the world of possibility open to you. Let's just find out what it, what it reveals. So once I got him to open his mind and be willing to engage and try something, it took about 15 minutes. And now he's running and his ankle isn't just sloppy anymore. And he's laughing and giggling like a little boy. And he's in his 70s. So he's laughing like a little kid. He's doing like a selfie video to show his wife that he could run now, right? And, and remember, he was the same guy that was angry with me for trying to help him be able to move his ankle. And he's like, it won't work. It won't work. I'm like, but you didn't try it. And I think what happens sometimes is people try something, they don't get a result, and they get frustrated. They try another thing, doesn't work, they're frustrated. And maybe they do three things, but in their mind, they tried everything. <laughs> like, you didn't try everything. You only did the three things. That's not everything. It's thousands of options. But if you don't notice thousands of options and you only knew three things, then that you know literally means you tried everything in your world. But here, we're not motivated by selling a given treatment. We're not motivated that – I don't care if you do more light therapy or magnetic field therapy or more meditation. I don't care. You want to do yoga? We do power cleans. Doesn't matter to us. We can do it all. And so now we're free to explore what's best for your body and what's best for you mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Because we're not sold, we're not locked into well, it's gotta be you know yoga at 6 a.m. or it's gotta be power cleans at 10 p.m. Right? Doesn't matter. Let's try them both and see what happens for you, you know? And I think that's where we get, you know, it's like an awakening in people's minds, like, wow. This is so different than anything I've ever been exposed to before. It's logical. Like, how could I know what's best for you when I don't even know who you are yet as a human being, right? And so what we say is, come on in and let's figure it out together. It, it's, it could be a little scary because people don't know what they're going to get into on the other side. of the, Once they walk to that door, like, where does this lead? What galaxy does this go to? You know, it's like a black hole. You're not sure what's on the other end of it. But once they open up their mind and ready, 100%. Then say, I got to bring my family member or my kid or my best friend because you can think right away of all the people you could help. So we're building an army of believers, followers, and I don't want to make it like a spiritual, you know, like a religious thing. But but there's such a, you know, you know, like um, you hear a lot of times like body, mind, spirit, like everything's separate. Right. The problem I would say with that is that it's still one human being. Right. And I can't look at you and see where's the line between your mind and your spirit. Where's the line between your body and your spirit, your body and your mind? Like it's not so simple. So what I my experience has shown, or at least what I've uncovered, is that when people make very significant breakthroughs, it's almost like um, an emotional and spiritual breakthrough at the same time. And um, most of the people that come here, where they believe in, in you know a higher power being. As they go through stuff here, their, their mind becomes so open to all kinds of other information that, you know, they they generally – there's like a slight shift in how they see things, you know, and uh, it, it just makes them appreciate things more. So the example would be like um, a lot of athletes that come in, they're very focused on getting bigger and stronger, right? And now after they see, you know, you see this guy in a wheelchair next to you trying to like do a pull down with a hundred pounds, right? And you see how hard he works and how difficult it is. It just touches you at your core. Like 
your whole life you're driven, you know, to swing a baseball bat faster or to lift a heavier weight. And that's what you've always trained and, and your goal is to like do better as an athlete. And then right next to you, you just saw something. Now all of a sudden it's challenging your own internal view, uh, belief system that, wow, it actually means more to me right now that that guy can lift that weight than me lifting my own weight, right? That's where it's like, wait a minute. Like as an athlete, you're expected to do things to help yourself get better. And so there's nothing wrong with that. That kind of makes sense. You're accountable to your own self, but also you're in this environment where you're training with people of all different backgrounds and, and conditions. And what I always, I always kind of take a lot of um, pleasure out of and joy is uh, younger athletes that come in that think, you know, I want to be this invincible, you know, beast, whether it's lifting heavy weight or something. And all of a sudden they realize, wow, man, as rewarding as it was for me, it is not as rewarding as helping this guy here, you know, lift his hundred pounds and you could do in your sleep, you do hundred pound one arm snatches, right? But it, it just, it touches you in a way you've never been touched before. And what I wind up seeing, over, this is like over and over again, I see all these, these athletes saying, man, you know, I thought I was gonna retire, be a coach one day. And now I think I really wanna work with these, you know, frail people that can't move well because it's way more satisfying. I'm not trying to put a like a, a value on anything because I think it's all important. But what I've seen as an observation is that when you help someone that can't move to stand up, you know, guy can't stand at all. Now he's standing on his own and walking. You have a, le- a, set, a level of accomplishment internally that overshadows, you know, you clean 500 pounds, you feel incredible, but it doesn't feel as good, you know? And I think that's where there's some of the, like the mental, spiritual, you know, kind of um, awareness all of a sudden for a lot of these guys, like, wow, there's something more fulfilling than my own needs, you know? Well, well and to your point too, you know, um, it, it is it is one body and one system. We are we are a complete being. We have a mind, a body, a spirit, emotions. We have a, we have a purpose. And if you have been dealing with back pain for two de- for two decades, that's going to screw with your mind. It's yeah, going to yeah. screw with your relationships. It's going to screw with your job. It's going to permeate every part of your life. And when you can get a little bit of satisfaction, when you can get a little bit of improvement, that steamrolls. I mean, you have to you have to treat the whole you have to treat the whole picture. You have you have to consider. Um, how you're sleeping and do you have love in your life? Cause that might be as important to your back as, um, as your posture or as your gait, you know, looking at, looking at the work that you do and all the cool toys, uh, that you have at, at Cosenta. Uh, so I used to own uh, flotation therapy centers here in Seattle. Okay. Have you, have you floated in a float tank? Uh, yes, I have. Um, it's kind of funny. My, uh, one of my best friends from college, uh, he actually did his master's thesis on, you know, like sensory deprivation therapy or flotation tanks, you know. We always had this idea that someday we were going to deliver light, sound, amino acids, all these different things, you know, into people while they're doing this, you know. And over the years, I've had different companies I, I would talk to, but they didn't really – they were happy with the results they were getting. They didn't really want to take it to the next level. And I'm driven – no matter what we hit now, I want to go beyond it. I don't think you ever hit a ceiling. I think ceilings are made to be smashed through. And so we always want to make something better because as science advances, we should be advancing with our equipment and technology as well. 
as that's why you see like, we have tons of gadgets here. But uh, um, I really think there's um, there's a, a potential application for that in all kinds of therapies. But what I would add to it is rather than just floating in there, there's different, um, let's say, manual massage, physical therapy techniques that I think with a competent, skilled, uh, maybe massage therapist, physical therapist can actually do on someone while they're in a flotation tank. And then imagine the same time you get like red light and other things. So it's kind of like, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like doing 10 things at once in a way. I yeah. think the results would be way better. But what I find a lot of times is that um, it's hard to find, you know, uh, people that want to continue to grow and, and change what they're doing. They're kind of like, well, I'm, I'm getting results and that's their ceiling right there, you know? Yeah. Plus, it'd be tough. I don't know how many um, – since you uh, used to have that stuff, how many massage therapists did you know had a flotation tank were using it? Did you come across anybody? Like, how many massage therapists floated at the float centers? Yeah, in other words, had a flotation tank and was using it as part of their therapy. Very few. We've heard of it. Yeah. Um, and there, there, we actually had a couple of really enthusiastic – because you know, masseuse, massage therapists are using their body all day working on people. And so we had a lot of them that would come and float on their days off. And we had a number of people say, hey, I wonder if I could get in the tank with someone – and massage them yes. while they're floating. And so we did actually have that a couple of times. And what's more common is someone would go um, either from a float session right into uh, into massage or from a massage session into a float session. But, uh, but mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, because of the state, because of the, the, the sensory deprivation that you're in, because you are so receptive to touch and sound and light – um, because all of the, all the other senses are stripped away. I love the idea of doing uh, red light therapy and massage and IV and, you know, uh, you know, vaporized Himalayan salt uh, in the, in the flow tank. I, I, yeah, I'm with you. Well, let me, give me a call when you're, when you, when you want to dig in and I'll come down and we can talk about it. Sure, man. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I looked, I looked at all the gadgets and I looked at all the things you have. And, and one of the questions that I had was, you know, um, what it's going to be hard because they're all your babies, but which are your top three sort of uh, gadgets that you have? So let's go by category because uh, it's a little bit easier. Um, uh, big fan of light therapy, whether it's laser, LED, there's, there's a lot of options, you know, light space or, or the more common or more. So currently it's referred to as photobiomodulation, right? But over years it was either laser therapy, light therapy, low level laser therapy. There's all these different terms that have been used, cold laser therapy, stuff like that. Um, what I, I, I got some, um, we have a full body bed that people can lie in. And it's amazing. Some people come in, um, so they have like arthritis so bad, they're in a wheelchair. So they don't have like a um, spinal cord injury or anything like that. So they have trouble moving around because the inflammation in their joints one session on the uh, light bed, and they come up and they like praising God and oh my God, it's a miracle. Another guy, nothing at all, right? So uh, what I see is that they're all just tools, and I can't look at you and know which tool. We're going to try some stuff, and then you're going to tell me which one you felt the best from. And we're also we got your subjective reaction, but we also have objective ways of measuring you, a measuring range of motion. We teach people here how to create their own test. Like when you say like, so people go, oh, it works. Great. How do you know? 
the way you would know, for example, let's just say um, you stand up and you do a toe touch test. And let's just say you're really tight, you barely get past your knees, right? You do it three times, so you'll have a little bit of a warm-up effect. And now, like, you know, you're going just below your kneecap. Now you do some therapy, it doesn't matter what it is, and now you get done, you try it, and now all of a sudden you're like a full hand's length past your knees, right? You're almost touching the ground. So what that tells you is that therapy had a positive input to nervous system because immediately your nervous system is more comfortable with movement. And you could demonstrate it where you could go further down. And you didn't, like, you, man, you weren't stretching in a therapy, right? You're just laying there and receiving whatever the therapy is. So, or if let's say for people that could palm the ground already, you know, really flexible in their hips, lower back area, then we might develop something like an internal, external rotation, like for the shoulder, and they could just go qualitatively as one side tighter than the other, to do a treatment or a therapy, and then afterwards, you know, how do they feel? And that's how you could assess for yourself if there's a difference, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, if you can't stand up out of a wheelchair and you do the therapy and now you are standing, that's pretty much good enough. You don't need to do anything else, you know. Uh, but a lot of times people are going to using subjective information. And the problem with that is um, my expectation is everyone feels better. But feeling good is not precise enough to know what's going on. Case in point, you don't feel cancer cells growing in your body. And what I hear like 200 times a week as people call us and they go, I got stage four cancer, it's metastasized everywhere, but I don't feel anything. I'm like, what that tells me is you're really disconnected from your body because you got cancer everywhere and you can't feel anything. There's something really wrong. Why didn't your body tell you there's a problem? Like, are you ignoring the signals? Are you just lying to yourself? Well, I'm fine, I'm fine. And meanwhile, now you can't breathe. I'm fine, I'm fine. And now you've got blood coming out of your rectum. I'm fine, I'm fine. Like, there's some disconnect there. That's very common. Uh, the reason why so many people uncover cancer at stage four is they ignored all the signs and they confuse. They go, well, I never went to a doctor. Okay, well, that means no one was monitoring you, right? The sensor is what that means. So how would you know if you have a disease process if no one competent about disease has ever looked at you? So you don't want to wait till you're tired or you have pain. It's really too far at that point for most people. They either don't have the money or the time to fix it. And so um, getting back to your question about, you know, sort of my favorite toys here. Um, right now, I would say uh, I like light therapy. Um, we just got in. Um, so in, a, in a electromagnetic field therapies, uh, I use about three different types of devices. I use one that gets rid of inflammation in my body. Um, so I don't have cancer as far as I can tell right now. I've, I don't have any signs of any cancer antigens or cancer cells that we can measure you know, or tumors or anything. But I do have arthritis. Um, osteoarthritis, not rheumatoid arthritis. Of osteoarthritis, I would venture to say almost every joint in my body. Like if you do an MRI on me, you're looking at, you know, what, what is 30 years of abuse in the body physically? I deadlifted trucks. I ran with a thousand pounds on my back. And I was never, like at my heaviest, I was maybe 250, 260, competing against men that were 350 to 360. So I was never the big guy. You know, I was always like, the midget guy, right? the smaller guy against everybody else. and um, But I was able to understand mechanics enough to, to lift these weights. But it doesn't, you know, what we didn't realize at the time, smaller bones, you have more concentrated loading, right? You have a giant man with these really wide femurs and stuff versus a smaller man with this tinier femur who has a thousand pounds on my spine that's more force per square inch than on his spine or his femurs. And, um, over the years, you know, I was a very aggressive, like, 
I was the kind of guy I'm going to win at all costs. I was just born that way. I have an instant on, very like ready to go type of thing. And I didn't understand cartilage biology or neurology concepts because back then, you know, the exercise concepts were like progressive overload. Just keep lifting heavier and you'll get stronger. No one looked at what happens to cartilage during this progressive overload. What happens to adaptations of different parts of your body? So I use a lot of magnetic field therapies because it's the difference between um, I'm in pain and I need drugs like Celebrex or you know uh, Advil or something versus I don't need any drugs at all. So basically, it's approved by the FDA for uh, adding muscle to your your glute muscles, so your butt, and muscle to your abs, and also stimulating fat loss at the same time. So just four sessions, and it makes a big difference. Some people are still getting results six months to one year later. So I evaluated this technology uh, November 2018, and I was looking at applying it in a totally different way to the human body. So then I wind up getting the technologies here. We use them today for all kinds of applications that have nothing to do with the abs and the butt. We use them for people that have spinal cord injury, how to stimulate their muscles that their brain can't connect to. We use them for people with low back pain. We use them for people with all kinds of torn hip labrums. So uh, we use the ways to help people that no one ever anticipated before. And um, everyone that walks in the building, once they try it one time, they're like, dude, I need this. Because <laughs> you, um, I want you to think about it. Like imagine if there was a way that you could get six months of workouts done in four sessions, right? But now here we take it to the next level. Um, now we use it as a way to get your brain connecting to your body. That's essentially what we do. So think of it as like a brain connector. Now that you can connect your hamstrings or your glutes, your quadriceps or whatever body part we're using, we then actually have you working out with it. And now you're able to stimulate almost every single muscle fiber every time you train in less time. And here's where it gets really cool, no soreness afterwards and no wear and tear in your cartilage. Like we dramatically reduce cartilage wear and tear. So now you could do much higher volume of training in a shorter period of time with less physical trauma to the body. So guess what happens? You get bigger, faster, stronger even faster than before. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, in reading the description, it said something like, you know, um, what does it feel like? Well, it feels like you exercised. It feels like you like you mm -hmm. went through a workout. Yeah, and it's, uh, so think of it as, um, so in terms of stages, like people come in, and we start them out like, my goal isn't to crush you or hurt you. My goal is to work with your current state of health, right? So you come in, if you're someone that's in super great shape, we can go, we can push the envelope because it's appropriate for your current level of fitness. If you're someone that's not in really good shape, we're going to start out, just get your brain comfortable. Most people, when they feel a sensation, they go, oh my God, they, they go, it's painful. I'm like, wait, think about it. Does it really hurt you? And they go, no, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to tell me it hurts. Now they go, wait, it doesn't. What it is is it's, it's uncomfortable because the brain has never felt every muscle fiber in the muscle contract at the same time. Right. And what you see is people don't know discomfort from pain. No one's taught them that before. And so discomfort is just an unusual signal that the brain doesn't know what to do with. Pain is like, uh, I got to stop this immediately. You know, right. 
Um, there's like a like a, a dysfunction in the nervous system when there's true pain, you know. Right. Is it is it hard or are you hurt? Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and so then what's funny is, um, you know, uh, we'll get started with one, you know, uh, one paddle on a muscle group, and maybe we get to forty to fifty percent the first session. By the fourth session, we'll have two paddles each at a hundred percent on a muscle group, and people are working out. So it's just the progression is crazy fast that people go through. And everybody goes, you know, when I started here, if you told me where I would end, I would say that's impossible because you can't conceptualize how much fast, like you have an experience working out, say, and you know how fast you've gotten stronger. And all of a sudden we've ramped it up like a thousand times. Like you, you can't predict how much quicker things are. And what's kind of funny is we got a lot of cool technologies, but a lot of them you may not feel because it's helping you on the inside, right? And like, so if you if you have so much inflammation that you can't move a joint, and now it gets out and you could move the joint, you could feel that. But if you had a certain threshold, you don't feel the inflammation anymore. It's below your sensory detection limits. And so you don't really realize how valuable something is if you can't feel it. Yeah. And so there's a lot of valuable tools. So yeah, so what we try to do to make it um, easier is we have people come in and we do a flat fee. And the reason why um, it's easier is we're getting them exposed to millions of dollars of technologies for only 1400 bucks. There's no way they're gonna get that kind of value anywhere in the world. Plus you got the expertise of the people that know how to use the equipment on top of that, right? So it's not like, it's like you come in, I'm like, go to sleep, I'll come back in four hours. Like, like you're doing stuff and you're accomplishing stuff that most people have never imagined they'd be able to do before. And then it's contagious. Like when you feel good, guess what? You want more of it. You know, it's kind of like, it's like, uh, you know, giving someone a drug that they would become addicted to type of thing, except our drug is movement. And the addiction is you want more movement, you know? <laughs> so I like cool. that. Yeah. I like that. The drug is movement and the addiction is more movement. I like that a lot. Yeah. Well, it's healthy. And the, uh, here's the other thing. Like, you know, I'm sure you heard of the old adage, like, you know, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man a fish, feed him for life. And so we try to make sure that when people walk out the door, they feel ready for life. No matter what challenge life throws at them, they're ready for it. And then because they could feel so much growth intellectually and ed- you know, from an educational perspective, where do you go? Like, you know, you have a mentor. He helps you or she helps you. You go back to that mentor for more advice, right? It's just logical because they helped you. They've established they could help you. Well, you help a human being. Guess what? They come back to you because you helped them, right? It's very, it's very linear and you know, very straightforward. So we have, uh, like now we have, um, we have like annual parties or let's say, you know, every so many years we have like groups of people that are coming back to celebrate. You know, one year no evidence of disease. You know, five years no evidence of disease. Ten years, you know. We have people come in and one guy told me, he goes, I never imagined I would see my son get married. Now I'm talking to my grandkids, you know, because he had a terminal cancer and now he's, you know, he's got no evidence of disease. He's outlived what his own expectations were, you know. So those are like pretty big deals for people. And, um, you know, I, uh, because of my emphasis on movement, um, we leverage uh, family and community relationships. So part of our core philosophy. Um, so uh, are, are you married or like who's your significant partner in your life? Yeah, married, married, two kids. 
okay, so let's just say, God forbid, you had cancer and it's very serious. You come here with your wife and kids, all of you are working out. And the reason is you can't go back home and people around you are doing unhealthy things, right? That's not yeah. showing support for you. And this is one of those things where um, I, so I've watched over the years, like people come in by themselves and they go back and their family's like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Because it doesn't click for them. So then we're like, we gotta, we have to impact the entire family or, or at least whoever the, the, the key people. So if you had a brother or a sister or someone you're living with, you know, they may not be a husband or wife, but who's around you to have some level of influence. And so um, we had recently uh, a young lady that came in um, here that had a terminal lymphoma. Uh, she was literally lost the ability to breathe, couldn't stand, uh, wasn't able to swallow. We're able to get her to a hospital, get her the right treatment at the right time, got her breathing and swallowing back. She came here in a wheelchair, had not walked in a long time. Uh, family's like, you know, I opened up the clinic by myself on a Saturday. So imagine like you see this geek and the geek is, you know, standing there like I'm going to help you. And you're like, what the hell is this geek going to do for me? You know? And I say geek jokingly. Most people, when they see me, they think more muscle head than geek, you know? Yeah. So then, um, I'm like, come on in. I'm like, how long have you been sitting in a chair? And, you know, they tell me a couple months. I'm like, all right, get ready to throw it out. You won't need it ever again. And they're like, this guy's a quack, right? How can you <laughs> this without knowing me yet? And I'm like, well, I, I got an assessment of you already. And I've done this, you know, with 100,000 people. It's not like I just invented this yesterday and don't have any data. I got quite a bit of data. So about an hour later, she's walking. The mom is crying. The boyfriend's crying. The family's like, how did you know this? And I'm like, so we, we don't lower expectations, right? We want people moving and coming up to the level that we want them. And uh, today, that young lady, uh, she's alive. Uh, she's got no evidence of disease. Uh, she's gained over 40 pounds of muscle. Uh, and this is a big deal. Someone that was 40 pounds below body weight normally dies. They don't live. Um, and now we have someone, we have actual evidence of it happening. The sad part, though, is uh, almost 100% of people that contact us with cancer, we tell them we're going to use exercise as a tool to help them. They all say, well, I exercise already. And they don't, they dismiss the value of it. It's like, okay, do you have a scientist with 23 years of college that got into medical school without filling out an application? <laughs> do you have that guy helping you? Do you have a physical therapist and a strength coach on your team helping you? Do you have an oncologist that's treated 100,000 people helping you? Do you have a naturopathic doctor trained 1,000 physicians helping you? They have none of those resources, but they ignore that because they hear, well, I, exercise doesn't work. That's their mindset coming in. And so they basically devalue a solution that's right in front of them. And then, you know, they usually will make poor choices after that. Uh, but, you know, one message I definitely want to make sure people leave with is that um, just because you've done something doesn't mean you've done it the right way or the right time. And so there's a context to helping people that unless you understand integrative physiology, um, you don't get credit for doing things the wrong way. And classic example, a guy in the gym with poor squat form hurts his knees and his back. That doesn't mean squatting is bad for you. It means he should have learned how to squat correctly, you know, or get a coach. Um, on a side tangent here, I can't tell you how many people spend all kinds of money on supplements. 
wastes thousands of dollars a month on supplements. Not one of them hires a competent personal trainer to help them. The results of a, of a competent personal trainer blow away all supplements combined. And it's a better deal, better value. If you're paying a guy 100, 150 bucks an hour, that's still cheap, but at $1,000 an hour that you're urinating out in the toilet, right? No one sees that because they don't value the movement. They don't realize a disconnect that if you can't move, health declines faster. But if you're stronger, you could handle things better and the movement leading to better strength and vitality gives you time. The time gives you more options to fight a disease. Yes. It's that linear, but it's people miss that all the time. That makes that makes so so much sense to me. And 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 one thing that you said about valuing education and empowering people to take their own approach to fitness, you know, to learn proper ways to move, what's going to help them, what sort of movements are going to help them the most, etc. You know, it's a lifestyle, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you can go to a retreat spa and get a top-notch uh, stuff done, and then you go home. And the naysayers, you know, uh, are going to pull you back into your old paradigm really, really quickly. But if you can educate and empower people to do what they know is the correct movements for them, the right exercises, the right frequency, um, and their partners are on board with it and they can see the results, I think that's massive because – we all have the ability to heal ourselves. Like the, the human body is so amazing. And, um, and also there's people in our lives that are ignorant and uninformed and don't know any better and poo poo things sometimes that, um, that are really going to be helpful before I, I, there are a couple of questions that I really want to ask you that are totally self-serving before we before we wrap this thing up. No worries. Uh, so I know that you know that you're you're a wealth of knowledge when it comes to testosterone, mm-hmm. and obviously you know for 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 muscle mass gain. Mm-hmm. I'm in this process. Um, I got my blood work done a little while ago, and I have I have low I have low testosterone, and I've been taking ashwagandha. I've been doing, um, I've been doing deadlifts. Um, you know, I've been, you know, I did the carnivore diet in January, you know, I eat a fair amount of protein. Um, my question for you is can, how, what, what's, what's a smart protocol for it? I like to intermittent fast. Intermittent fasting has helped me, um, stay lean. I'm more focused. I'm more productive when I'm intermittent fast. If I'm intermittent fasting, how how much am I um, limiting myself for lean muscle mass, and what's what what, what approach should I take? Yeah, so if, if we look at all the research as a whole, the people that consume whether it's protein, fat, carbohydrates, some type of food or energy source around a workout, those people have the best results, right? Now, one of the things that um, has been totally ignored with intermittent fasting is that um, one of the reasons why people tend to do better with any type of fast, whether it's like a, a modified fast for religious reasons or some other purpose, whether it's intermittent, is that a lot of people have very dysfunctional microbiomes. So by fasting, you're basically starving out some pathogenic organism in your gut. And so now you feel better. But long term, 
when I look at the data on fasting, it focuses on acute changes like, you know, what's your body composition, what is your stem cell levels, uh, maybe some markers of inflammation, but chronically, uh, it could dramatically reduce micronutrient levels. So in the end, it would be a dead end because it's kind of like if I imagine if I told you, well, I'm going to run my car without oil. And so yeah. I'm going to hit a consequence. And so now if someone says, well, I'm getting all my micronutrients in at a certain time um, to make sure I don't run out of it, then you might be a way to manipulate the variables to make it much healthier. But what I would say is this, is that um, that's one strategy. Another strategy that we could look at is um, stimulating uh, muscle mass in a way to upregulate gene expression. So now we clear out carbohydrate and cl- like glucose in the blood, cholesterol, and we also upregulate antioxidant defense mechanisms. And the data I look at, you know, like training strategically, it blows away the data from intermittent fasting. So it's kind of like, well, intermittent fasting is one option, but what about other options and then how we best leverage those options to improve results? And so if you said, hey, I got low testosterone, I would say, all right, first, was your doctor competent enough to advise you on how to avoid common pitfalls of measurement? One is that two days before the blood draw, there should be no excessive activity, no alcohol, no crazy changes in the diet. So make sure you're eating food that you always could eat. You know, I don't care what the food is, whatever diet you're following, but it has to be standardized that there's not an acute variable change that creates an artifact. Now you want to be, um, I've measured uh, blood hormone markers like every 15 minutes for hours and hours. And so when you wake up, imagine I'm like a stalker and I'm at your bedside and I draw your blood, right? Right since you wake up, right? Now I got this value. Now let's say you take a shower and you come out and I stick you again. So an hour later we'll say. Now you come into the clinic and I stick you a third time. In that two-hour time, which is kind of normal for most people by the time they wake up and get to a center, draw their blood, assuming it's a morning blood draw and it's fasted, um, your levels can drop two to 400 points. So from 200 to 400 points decline. Whoa, really? Yeah. So now you, you're being evaluated at a time point that you were at your yeah. weakest, right? So then it may not be actually reflecting what's going on inside of your body. Um, so that's something just to consider. Like, it, okay. is it you know really dialed into what my life is style is like? Um, the other thing is if you train really hard today and you get a blood draw tomorrow – you may have already released all this testosterone and maybe you need more time to increase endogenous production of that testosterone. And so there's just some things to keep in mind. And then, um, you know, we don't uh, buy into uh, the marketing concepts of bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. And the reason is, well, if you're taking it, I would test you and know you're taking it. So how is it bioidentical? I should not be able to find it if it was truly identical. And this is where you say doctors lack, like they make a lot of common mistakes. They go to a course and get sold on some mythology about bioidentical. It is not bioidentical. That's a marketing concept. That is not a science concept. And the reason is you look at testosterone that your body naturally makes versus testosterone you're taking outside the body. So whether it's a cream or an injection or pellets or there's actually oral testosterone available. There's, so no matter how you get it, 
we can test for it whether you made it or you didn't make it. That's mm. how we know it's not bioidentical because there is a difference. So the difference is known in the physics world, but the structure is still the same. So that's why doctors would say bioidentical, but they're wrong. It's not bioidentical because our cells know the difference in carbon isotopes versus, um, you know, they know a mammalian testosterone versus a plant-based testosterone. Okay. So what I would normally do though is I would try to figure out something like this. So if you came in, well, one, did you ever have an injury to the testes or some sort of groin region or something? Like is there mechanical damage that could have explained something? Assuming no, then there should be no reason why you can't make testosterone because we have men in their 90s with testosterone levels over 1,600. So when you hear this nonsense about testosterone declining with aging, that's idiots. That, that they're basically they're playing in the kiddie pool and they're trying to imagine like they're deep sea divers. Okay, the reason is if you have all this baggage from your youth that doesn't get addressed over time, things get worse. So if you're low in zinc your whole life, guess what your testosterone is now that you're 70? It's really low. Yeah. <laughs> low in boron, low in vitamin A, low in vitamin D. So all these things that you need for your cells to be healthy, you've been low 30 or 40 years. Well, guess what? Now it's really low when your hormones are low when you're an adult. And you got lots of guys saying things like, well, <laughs> testosterone and, or growth hormone is important. And they are, but they're more important when that's all you know. Um, if a man is taking testosterone, let's say you got a guy injecting, you know, 200 milligrams or to a thousand milligrams of testosterone a week, which is decent dosages. Like you should get some muscle mass with that level. If he has sleep apnea, he's going to blow away the effects of testosterone. So everybody's focused on testosterone, but I would argue, well, if testosterone is so powerful, why can't it counter the negative consequences of sleep apnea? And it can't. Yeah. So, uh-huh. you know, there's basic things that you, there, there's, there's basic principles. So, um, first, you're getting enough oxygen because you need that. You don't get enough oxygen, you have death in 10 minutes or less, right? So, that means at night, can you breathe freely? And if you can't, that's, that's something to think about. Um, you get enough water because if you don't have good hydration, you limit the ability of your body to detoxify naturally, and you limit the ability of your muscles to grow. Muscles need water to get better. You, you minimize muscle protein synthesis when there's dehydration. Yet, So this is two simple things anyone can do on their own, and you see everybody ignoring and going to they're worried about melatonin and blue light. That's dumb. If you can't breathe, your melatonin is already low, right? But what happens is something online about blue light, and they get caught up with that because of visual bias. Sure. It, understand context of health, right? right? So first breathe, then worry about light, right? that kind of thing. So getting back to the testosterone stuff, I would look at building blocks the body cannot make that are essential for life first. So like vitamins, minerals, essential amino acids, essential fatty acids, they're so largely ignored by in, by in general in healthcare, but you can't live without them. So you should know what they are, right? You should know if you need, do you need selenium or vitamin A? And then you should be taking it or doing something about it from a nutritional perspective. Because if you address stuff at that foundation level, you have positive impact on thousands of pathways. So you're going to fix stuff you don't even know is wrong. Yeah. Way cheaper in the end. So like, you know, I just did some panels with some guys today. For like a thousand bucks, we tested all this stuff. And most people might say, well, a thousand bucks is a lot of money. Well, what's worse is to spend money that doesn't produce a result. 
or, or or to get or to get sick and have to pay ten thousand dollars because you've got some some illness, right? Yeah, yeah. Let me. That that's totally. So you set me up here. You threw me another good softball, man. Thank you. So, <laughs> so I got two guys, and this is real life. And I'm not gonna give you names or anything like that, but real people. One guy is a billionaire. The other guy's not a billionaire. Um, but I say that because I want you, I want you to see that it doesn't matter the socioeconomic status, doesn't matter finances or anything. A poor decision is a poor decision. Doesn't matter how much money, right? And so one guy contacts us and he's tired. He's tired. And so now um, we measure vitamins, minerals, and hormones, and we address all of his vitamin levels, um, all of his hormone levels, except we see there's some going on with his thyroid. Now we do a much more extensive workup of his thyroid gland, and we find he's got Hashimoto's. So now we're treating Hashimoto's, and he's still tired. So now we follow up. We do an ultrasound, we do an MRI, and then we wind up following up. We do a biopsy on his thyroid gland. We find two very, very tiny nodules on his gland. We get a pathologist to biopsy them, and the pathologist calls us and goes, how did you guys find that he had cancer at like stage zero to stage one? He goes, it's so tiny. There's such a small amount of cancer. How did you know? And he goes, by the way, what's a naturopathic doctor? Because our naturopath was was work with this guy. And so they talked, a naturopathic doctor and his pathologist talk. He's an MD from uh, Chicago. And he's like, he goes, you know, I, I always hope I could find cancer in people's bodies when it's so small because it's easy to treat. And they're, and, they're, and they're fine the rest of their life. He goes, but what happens is, you know, it's stage four, we got these giant tumors, and like even if we remove the whole tumor, there's still cancer everywhere else in your body. So it's not fulfilling, you know, to say we're gonna do a surgery, but a guy still may die anyway, you know. So for him to be in a position where he could save this person's life, it's far more, you know, it's what he's living for, right? Type of opportunity. So now him and, and, and my naturopath, they're you know, they're discussing all kinds of medical jargon and they're connecting and professionally. And so now we wind up, you know, get, scheduling a surgery. This individual had um, Hashimoto's and uh, thyroid cancer. That's not that's pretty rare. It's not so common. And so the most logical thing is remove the thyroid gland without affecting the parathyroid gland. And now this guy will have zero risk of this, you know, because it won't be there basically. So now he's out of pocket total for maybe two to three grand. This is all the testing, all the surgery, everything. Now let's fast forward to this other guy. He has a tumor in his lungs and it's, you know, he needs to take action. And he tells me, well, I got to do this business deal. He waits. Now I do, I hear from you, what's going on? Well, I got to do this other business deal. And he waits. Well, now the cancer has spread throughout his body and it's in his brain. And he responds, well, I feel fine. I have no pain and, I, and I'm doing well. And he's managing $4 billion. So he's got some, you know, he's thinking about the money. I go, look, when you're dead, the amount of money doesn't matter anymore because you won't be there to do anything with it. And someone else is going to be making your choices for you very soon. He's like, no, no, my family won't do that to me. I'm like, you're looking at this all wrong. When you get to a point you can't move, your family won't know what to do to help you. You're thinking they're going to make the right choice. 
how are they going to know what to do when you can't move? You, you, you're laying there drooling on yourself. What do you think they're going to do? They're going to call a doctor. Doctor's going to say hospice. They're going to say goodbye. That's it. There's nothing else to be done. So he's like, all right, I'm going to go on one last trip, and then I'm coming in to see you guys. Now, I want to give you the timeline here. This was May of 2018. It's now, you know, uh, January, uh, let's say February 2019, and I'm watching him get worse and worse and worse. I guess it should go up, I guess. And he keeps telling me, no, I I feel no pain. I have good energy. So I said, look, man. This will be the last trip you ever take. It's one way. He's like, well, I feel great. I'm like, dude, you're lying to yourself. Look at the data. It's spreading everywhere. You're starting to slow your word. You're starting to get slower in your response time. Something is going on, and you just don't know what's going on. So I got to say my goodbyes to you now. He's like, no, it's not like that. I'm going to make it. I'm like, I'm telling you that's not how it's going to go down. He goes on his trip. It's a big-time family vacation, a private jet. So he didn't want to lose the money on renting this jet. I'm like, you got enough money, man. You could lose a few dollars, right? So now he goes on a jet, comes back, and I text him immediately. How you doing? When you coming in? He cannot reply. He's so weak, he can't send a text message. Sister calls me and says, man, he's not looking too good, you know? And I'm like, ah, I knew this was going to happen. Can we get him an IV, a nutrient IV, get some energy back in him? Won't help with the cancer, but at least he could travel safely to our center that we could do something for him. She goes, I'm going to talk to my family and see what they want to do. So now she talks to the family. I call the next day. Did you get him an IV? Like time is critical here. They're like, he's too tired. We're just going to let him sleep until he passes away. So he passed away. And so – Here's the, the difference is that here's a guy with billions of dollars and it didn't matter in the end because he didn't take action. So people all the time tell me things like I don't have pain or they talk about money, they talk about resources. The biggest threat is time. It's not money. It's not geography. It's not what equipment. It's time. And everybody uses time incorrectly. So the one guy took action super fast. And he got rid of something before it was even a threat to his health. The other guy who was – was, if you looked at him, he looked like a superstar athlete. Very lean, muscles everywhere, looked good. But he makes a mistake most people make is they look at the outside and go, I'm fine. Cancer doesn't care what you look like. It's still spreading like termites rapidly everywhere, you know, burrowing through wood. They don't care if you live in the house. They're going to take over the house anyway, you know, and that's kind of like a cancer cell. It's not concerned with how you look like. And so hopefully one take-home message for anyone that's listening to this is don't wait. If it matters to you, take action. And the first step is get educated. Don't worry about money, resources. Get educated. Then, And, and to make it simpler, save time, a common mistake people make is they talk to me first. Then they talk to their family member and they talk to another family member so you know that old you know, game as a kid, telephone game, you tell someone it's a totally different story. We've got data on 100,000 people. We've, been, we've tested every gene in the human body, every gene in the cancer cell, every vitamin mineral. We've got you know, so much overwhelming information. There's no way you're going to hear it in a phone call and make sense of it all. It'd be the equivalent of me saying, you know, 
you've been, let's say, you're a top plumber in the world. All right, I'm going to read a book and be just as good as you. (laughs) It makes no sense, right? But that's how people approach disease. They think they're going to do a phone call and become an expert or read something on the internet. So we tell them, ignore Dr. Google. Instead, listen to Dr. Tom because I'm here to make sure you live. I'm not here to sell you something different, you know, algorithm there. And um, the smart play, what people should do anywhere you go, doesn't matter if it's cancer or another disease. There's only two questions that ultimately matter for you to live. No matter what problem you're facing, you ask the healthcare professional, whether it's a trainer, whether it's a doctor, it doesn't matter their occupation. You ask them, how will you deal with the problem I have inside of me, right? So if I have prostate cancer, how are you going to treat Tom Anklin on prostate cancer? Not the label prostate cancer. Right, because that's where you get to see the difference in a one-size-fits-all model versus an individualized care. And you want individualized care; you don't want one-size-fits-all medicine. And the second question is, what will you do when it doesn't work? Because everybody messes up and thinks they ask what I consider the dumbest question in history. They ask, "What's your treatment success rate?" Why is that so dumb? Because you're, you're basically saying I'm not a valuable, unique human being. Instead, I'm a number. And I want to know what your numbers are with other people. That's not how you live. That's not how you beat a disease. You beat a disease by understanding what's unique about the individual with the disease so you know how to help them to beat it. And that's why and it's unfortunate that most people ask about a treatment like somehow magically that treatment is going to solve every issue or they ask about success rates with other people. Every human being alive today is so unique. Not only are they the only person alive right now, they're the only person like themselves in history. In history. So if you add up all these people, I don't know, we've got 50 billion, maybe more. I don't know. I actually haven't done it, so I'm guessing. But it's a lot of people. And so instead, they want to go, instead of ignoring how unique they, you know, ignoring how unique they are, they want to go, how average can I be? <laughs> Which doesn't. Yeah. That's how you, you basically fast track your death. And, you know, I hear stuff all the time where people say, well, I'll do a ketogenic diet and I'll take some metformin. Okay, how quickly do you want to die? Because we've studied this by themselves that's not good enough. You may buy some time. Our goal is to make sure you live, period. Not just live another week or another month or two. And, you know, there's some, like if someone came in and said, look, I got no money, what should I do? You know, how do I beat this thing? Got no insurance. I have no way of affording it. Okay, make sure you got good airflow. Figure out a way to get enough oxygen, make sure you move, make sure you drink enough water, make sure you get enough sleep, make sure you eat a, a diet with as much color as possible. Because those are things that would stood the test of time, right? And that's stuff that people can't control. They don't need a guy like me. They don't need another professional. They can do all that stuff on their own. And uh, we put a lot of this stuff for free. We have free eBooks people can download on our website. Um, we're going to start coming out with diet plans. We're going to do a ketogenic diet for cancer. We're going to do like a mixed food diet for cancer and a vegan diet for cancer. And the primary reason is that a lot of times people come in and they, they're already pre-sold on ketogenic or vegan or whatever diet they want to do. And because, you know, like it, it takes a bit of time to, to get trust with someone, right? So imagine if you're following a given diet for months, years, however long, you're comfortable with it. And now you come in, this guy is telling you, you know what, we may have a better option for you. It may be something you haven't done before. People don't magically change, flick a switch and change everything instantly. 
you may, you may have food left over. You have to eat all what you have before you buy new food. Right? This changes is reality. You have to get your family on board with this new concept. You know, so we kind of let them. You know, we work with them instead of against them. And then as we show them more findings about data from their own body, people naturally then go, oh, what should I do about this? And they go, what do you think? And like, I think I should be going in a different direction. (laughs) Right? Well, so to me, it doesn't matter what diet is best for you. It just matters to help you find the best diet for you. Right? So I don't, I'm not out to sell a diet book. Um, I'm out to make sure you live. And so then we're free to do whatever we want. Dr. Tom. I commend you. I mean, your your message is so refreshing. It's so clear. It's so unbiased. And, and it's clear that what you're doing at Cosenta and in your practice, walking the walk, and uh, it's, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm really, I'm really, really grateful for our ability to connect today. Where can people find you? What's the best way to get a hold of you? Where should they go to learn more? So the best way you would just go to the website, causenta.com, that's C-A-U-S-E-N-T-A. And there's a form they could just fill out. Um, they could schedule a free session uh, to talk with one of the professionals here. Just um, I, I think people should be given an opportunity to at least find out things before they commit. You know, Make sure it's a good fit both ways. And then assuming it's a good fit, they could then schedule the right type of console with the right professional here and then get the process rolling. And then we, we, we're not a high pressure type of situation. Like we want everyone to take action immediately, but we also realize people kind of process and think things through their own way. But maybe if I could help people fast track stuff, when you do a free consult, make sure anyone that has as part of your decision making is on that call. Because you want to avoid is misinformation being gathered. Because let's say I could say right now, if you and your wife are on a phone call, we do a free consult. Certain words will resonate with you and other words will resonate with her. So both you can have two different takes on the same call, right? Even though I'm giving the same answer, I'm giving the answer and you're both here at the same time. So to prevent like misinterpretation and prevent things from happening, it's kind of like, you know, you want to have someone to bounce the idea, hey, I heard this, would you hear type of thing, you know? And almost every time people go, wow, we both heard two different things. And then, but you want to both be there to get, make sure things are clear and it, it just sounds good and all that stuff. And then you move forward in a console, you actually want your, your significant other present. So let's say a good example, men sleeping at night. So um, I ask the guy if he snores and he'll say no. And I ask his wife and she goes every day. And, and the biggest part is you don't know what you do when you're sleeping, right? You don't know if you got a nervous twitch or something, you're, you're sleeping. How would you know this? Yeah, so because... When you're sleeping at night, you don't know what's happening, right? You have a nervous twitch, something else is going on. And so you want your significant other there just to make sure that the message that you're, you're like you're, you're accurate, authentic, you know, with your message about here's what's happening. Because that way then you get the right recommendations later on, right? So, for example, you know, we could do uh, any test possible, any test that's covered by mankind. We can do all that stuff through our relationship with all these different laboratories. So – but you don't need to do everything, right? You just need to do the things will actually help you. So let's say a sleep study at home. If you don't have sleep apnea, there's no reason to do it, right? Because it's not going to tell you anything. Like you're fine and you're still fine. You know, you don't need – that's not <laughs> you, right? 
But if you did have sleep apnea, you want to know what's going on so you know what to do. And if you did a treatment or something, did it work? Like you're going to get retested later on and see what's happening. And, um, you know, so if you say, no, I don't have, I don't snore, I don't have sleep apnea, and now we don't do the test, and later on you actually did, there's a simple, like there's an easy fix here that's now being ignored, right? And and so um, some guys will actually say, you know what, I'm not sure, just test me anyway because I'd rather drop, you know, $189 and no, I don't have it versus, you know, I save 109 bucks and now years later I got diabetes and other diseases that I could have avoided if I just spent the $189 back then. So there's those kinds of things to help people, you know? Awesome. I like to ask everybody the same question at the end of the podcast. Um, and it's really a fill in the blank. So if you, if you will, f- please fill in the blank. Everyone would benefit from knowing what, questions to ask when they're in front of their doctor and there's only two that matter and we have a free ebook that has it all written out so you don't have to write this down just go to our website you know you could go um on the top menu i think there's a one that says resources if they change the works as they, they they try to test like what works with different people so they may change a word but on our website we have all the publications for free and you basically go to ebooks and it's got like 10 questions to ask your doctor type of thing. Just read it. It's free. There's no excuses why you can't get it. Um, it's pretty easy to follow. But, you know, essentially the two questions I mentioned earlier, the ones that really matter, how you fix what's in my body or how you address what's in my body, not the label, and what will you do when it doesn't work. Um, and the reason is um, 100% of people, this after we go through this process, tell me if I only knew those two questions, I would never – have started the treatment therapy at the place I did before, right? Because you don't want to go somewhere and find out it's a dead end. Why would you waste your time? doesn't matter if insurance covers it or not. If it's a dead end, it's not helping you. So you go somewhere else right away. And then that would be one way you would probably live because you're not wasting time on stuff that won't work there and where there won't be a solution after the end of that journey, you know? Dr. Tom, it's been such an enlightening conversation. I wish that we had uh, six more hours to talk because there's a whole list of questions that I'm looking at right now that I didn't get to. So maybe at some point in the future, um, we'll do a follow-up. But thank you so much for your time today. And uh, I know that people are going to really resonate with with what you're talking about. I mean, how could how could you not? It's uh, it's so clear. It's so transparent. It's so unbiased. Um, I really appreciate your time and thank you for being on the Optimal Performance Podcast. Uh, thank you, man, for uh, allowing me this opportunity. And, um, you know, I don't know how often you get to Scottsdale, Arizona, but maybe one time just do a podcast from here while you're in a, in a different toys, you know. And uh, you may have to filter out the static background noise, right? But uh, I think it'd be kind of fun. No one's done it yet. I offer that to a lot of guys like, dude, come over here and do it in the Novathor, right? And then, uh, that way you, you can kind of share with people, what does this feel like? You know, what it is it, yes. you know, it's easier with some of the, the light and electro electrical therapy stuff, the magnetic field stuff be tougher because it may interfere with the signal, but we, we could almost have you recorded from a distance and you could shout. <laughs> I, I would, you're, you're, you've, you've offered that to the right guy because I, that's a, right up my alley. I need to go to Sedona to record a podcast with someone else. Uh, and I love Scottsdale. And, uh, I did a podcast during a live acupuncture session once, and you can hear my voice go from this. It dropped about three octaves throughout the course of the podcast because my body was, was so relaxed 
and my arm was twitching and like the muscles in my face changed. Uh, the whole, yeah. So I, I might take you up on that. Um, thanks so much for your time. And, um, yeah, uh, hopefully we'll talk soon. Awesome, man. Have a wonderful day. And thanks again. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Tom Inkladon, I really enjoyed this podcast and, and you can tell because this was about 30 minutes longer than what we usually do. It's just because we got onto a roll and he has so much wisdom to share with people about personalized, individualized care, disease treatment and performance. And, uh, I can't wait to head down to Scottsdale to go check out his center. Um, you know, it's guests like these that are just such an ideal fit for the Optimal Performance Podcast. And as the insurance companies and the current medical paradigm um, gets further and further out of whack, where it's not about keeping people healthy, but it's about the bottom line, I think there's there's people like this that are actually out there trying to help people. And, and when he talks about getting death threats, when he talks about not wanting to live in fear because people are, are, are attacking him because he's advocating for affordable and effective care um you know that he's doing something right when uh, when when the man gets pissed off so uh, it was really a pleasure to bring this episode to you just another subtle reminder to please send us a review um i notice i read every single one of them uh, and also reach out to me say hello say what's up and if you would like to if you have been listening for a while and you like the way that I approach things, um, please check out my own personal stuff. Go to seanmccormick.com, S-E-A-N mccormick.com. Um, you can also check out my other podcast, which is called The Mystic Mac Podcast. It's easy to find. It's on all the platforms. Um, that one is dedicated to all things mystical, consciousness, exploration, meditation, spirit guides, sort of the other fun stuff that I love. Um, check me out. Also, I also, 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 I also, also offer free intro life coaching sessions that are 15 to 30 minutes. If you are looking for someone that can help you get to your goals a little bit faster and are not sure where to go, uh, hit me up, send me an email and uh, we can connect. I hope you guys have a great day until the next episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I will check you later.